welcome back, Calm listeners. This is Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Cal, we've got an awesome guest today, all the way from Dallas, Texas. So everyone listening, let's welcome Sharbel Simon. Sharbel, how are you today? And what gets uh, you excited about life? Yeah, I'm doing great today, thanks. And what excites me about life is opportunity. And there's always so much opportunity in the world. And I think every day I try my best to get up and realize what can I do today and what kind of impact can I make today? It's not always easy. You know, life throws all these stressors at you and you got things to do, bills to pay, messages to respond to, whatever the case is. But what excites me is just that constant pursuit of opportunity and making an impact in people's lives. And today's one of those days, just waking up and being able to get my family up and going and kids are off to school and we got to prepare for this recording. So I'm excited to be on the show with you guys. That's awesome. Were you always this optimistic or did it strike you one day? You know, I'd love to hear that background for everyone listening so they can get an idea of, is it possible to always just have that? Are you born with the mindset? Do you cultivate it? What do you think about that? I wonder sometimes if we're born with it. I think a lot of in terms of our natural dispositions and how we're wired in many ways. The temperaments is a interesting model. The four temperaments is a model that I'm a big fan of. And the brief rundown, like if you're a fan of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, a lot of people say that they're modeled after the four temperaments and together they form this great team. Basically, the temperaments boil down to four dispositions that we have. We all have them, but we tend to have a primary and a secondary that really drive who we are, how we think, and the way we act and behave. And I think for me, my natural dispositions, my natural temperaments that are primary and secondary tend to be more of the type who enjoys being among the people, enjoys things like public speaking and being out there and leading and making decisions and seeking opportunities or seeing gaps in the world and wanting to solve for those gaps. For others, they're much more internal and they're driven by standards in life that they see upheld in the world. And they're not as vocal maybe, but their impact comes through in more subtle ways. For me, I think just an understanding of oneself and how you're kind of naturally wired, then also understanding how to use some of the other, maybe more subtle dispositions or temperaments that you have. That's just like a general framework that I think about a lot. So I think in some ways, there's a naturalness to it. In other ways, I think I've been influenced a lot. My parents immigrated from Lebanon to Australia and from Australia to the US. And so much my dad's family is in Australia. And they had a great life there. But my dad had this ambition. He just had this desire to come to the US and make a different life here for his family. And I think in a lot of ways, you know, that model was something that shaped me. It shaped how I view the world, how I see more often than not, as opposed to seeing something as a problem or something that can't be overcome. I see it as simply an unmet need. And if we can design a solution for that unmet need, then we can make an impact. So I generally speaking, view anything in life that way. I always tell my kids, there's always a solution. We can always design a solution to something. And even when things can be really in a rut and you feel like things are pretty dire, 
I still believe in those situations and I've been in plenty of them, you know, financial hardships or career hardships or family struggles. I just always believe that there's a solution and there's a way to design that solution. And I think especially in this day and age, we've got to embody that mindset more and more. Otherwise, it's just so easy to look at the way things are in the world and to think that's it. It's over. And and if we get to that place, I think we've lost hope and we're in a state of despair. And I'd rather over-index on hope and action instead of despair and inaction. Yeah, definitely. And if you think of some of the most forward-looking, ambitious people, someone like a Steve Jobs, as negative as the world can be, the fact that everyone's holding an iPhone was a conscious thought. It wasn't just something that happened from the sky. So I think you sound like a very introspective kind of philosophical guy, which is awesome. I always like to lean into the extremes. And if you want to find out if something is possible or not, you only need one example. So can the world be different? Can you make a difference? Can you, you know, shape your life? And the answer is yes, just using that example. So I always like to say that everyone's got their own different path in life and life's a journey, but have some humility that you're not going to change everything all the time. But if you can kind of channel and focus what's important to you, I think that is the unlock. That is the superpower where you can start to say, I'm in control of my life and I can shape it. And then no matter how small you start that ball rolling, it can lead to good things. At least for me personally, I know I like to feel a control, not from like a power perspective, just from a peace of mind and a calm about moving along and trying to do good things. So would you say that these kind of temperaments are a meditation or how do you get yourself in that zone or in that frame of thinking? Is there a process you go through to get to that phase? Yes, there is a process I go through. First and foremost, I agree with what you're saying. And I think so much of it boils down to what can I influence? There are so many things that are out of our control and out of our influence. And I personally am trying to get better at acknowledging those things, recognizing them, acknowledging it, and then accepting it. And the more I'm able to do those three things, recognize it, acknowledge it, and accept it, then I can really get a grip on what I can impact and what I can influence. And I think if something doesn't exist, your point about that if there's at least one example, then you know, you know it's possible. Sometimes there may not be any examples and you've got to invent that possibility for someone else. You know, for me, just on a more personal note and somewhat philosophical note is being the son of immigrants who worked so hard to make a good life and provide opportunities for me and my siblings. There's a lot that I see in other people who I might be trying to model after who maybe aren't the way my parents may have grown their family and nurtured and cultivated their opportunities. There's another level that I want to try to get to for my family and to help set up opportunities for my kids. And I may have to look at other examples or related worlds often. Like as a designer, I've cultivated various mindsets, various skills and collected all these frameworks over time. And one of my favorite ones is to look at related worlds. So if I can see how something's modeled in a somewhat related and maybe completely unrelated field or unrelated discipline, what can I borrow from that framework? What can I borrow from that model and apply it in a way that hasn't been applied before? So in some sense, there just may not be a model or that solution may not exist yet, but I could look at how other 
gaps or other problems have been solved in other ways and try to borrow from those first principles. So to get to the point about the method then, one of the ways I do that and one of the ways I try to acknowledge what's in front of me, what can I impact and what can I not impact if it's just out of my sphere, out of my control. It's a basic three-step model and I spend a lot of time contemplating this model and praying through it and thinking through, number one, is becoming aware. When I take time to become aware of the situation, become aware of the data, whether it's quantitative or qualitative, awareness of my feelings, how am I reacting to a certain circumstance or situation, awareness of the resources that I have available to me, what are my knowns, what are my unknowns, then I can start to shift toward making meaning. And that's the second step. So when I start to make meaning, I'm connecting dots. And I'm connecting dots between the limited resources I have, how do I use them optimally? How am I feeling about the choice between two different options? How am I feeling about the circumstance or situation that I'm in? How would I feel if things were different? And what would need to be different in order for me to feel differently or make a certain change or make a certain decision? So when I've become aware and then I've made meaning of all that information and connected those dots, then I can shift to the third step, which is take action. And I have more clarity and confidence and peace about what action to take. If the action goes in a different direction, I need to correct course, then I can learn from that and come back to awareness. So I'm learning from that. I'm gathering that information, that data and those lessons, and then I can go back through and take that awareness into meaning again and take that meaning into action again. And the more I cycle through those, in a sense, the more I can get that flywheel spinning and get those revolutions in, I find myself reducing angst and reducing anxiety and ideally just keeping myself in more flow. And that's just something I try to optimize a lot for staying in flow, getting into flow and then staying in it. And I know that it's not something that I can just perpetually maintain. Obviously, you go through cycles of ebb and flow. But what it boils down to for me is this relationship between friction and flow. A lot of times we think that friction is bad and that we want to eliminate or alleviate friction as soon as possible and only stay in a state of flow. But friction's a good thing. You know, if we don't have some friction, then we don't have anything to grab onto, right? If there's no friction between a tire on a road, right, the vehicle doesn't move. We need some friction. And some friction in the negative sense is a good thing because it's a signal and it helps us identify that something's not quite harmonious or working in a way that's keeping the flywheel spinning, so to speak. So if I can identify that friction and alleviate it and optimize it so it's actually helping with flow, then great. But the thing I try to identify the most in my life or my clients or any of the projects I'm working on or the brands I'm building is I, I try to minimize chronic friction. Is chronic friction I've found leads to burnout. In a literal sense, if something is in friction chronically, the flywheel slows down, it heats up. This is all like basic science, but we can apply it to everyday life in that once it just grinds and grinds and grinds and overheats and burns out, now you've got a whole different set of problems to deal with. So I try to identify situations in business and work and life, relationships, friendships. When there's chronic friction, how do I alleviate that chronic friction to make sure that we're not burning out? That's absolutely brilliant because a lot of the things you've touched on, I actually wanted to reflect on as you were speaking. I was thinking, yeah, I want to touch on this and on that. So (laughs) 
you know, it's beautiful and very, very meaningful because I can relate to a lot of that. The fact that you learn from other fields or other industries or other applications and you try to apply that in your field of business or in your personal life. And that's the case with a lot of things I follow. I'm quite an enthusiast in motorsport and there's a lot of aerospace technology that goes into know-how and engineering. And that eventually trickles down to automotive engineering and gets to the cars that we drive every day. Same thing with space exploration. So with the James Webb Space Telescope, it's been in the works for over 25 years now. And a lot of the technology that was developed and created for that telescope, the high-end observatory that's going to be in space, there's already some technology that has trickled down into medicine, even though the telescope hasn't been in space yet. So it just shows you that there's a lot of cross-learning here. And again, back to friction, you're absolutely right. I think it's character building. It's a tool or a means to perfect your product or your service or your process. It's a way to go back and learn how we can improve. So it is very, very crucial. I think friction is what makes or breaks the service or product one's providing. Just like they say, there are no ups without downs. I completely agree with that. And if you don't mind sharing with us, perhaps, about how you started your process where you are today. Sure. Early on, I just didn't know enough and wasn't aware enough of how certain things work in the professional world. And even in university, you know, not having a strong sense of awareness of kind of how it all works and how to take most advantage of the opportunities. So over time, it's been this collection of experiences and just this entire log of data, if you will. You know, like I've collected all these experiences. I've, over time, noticed certain patterns emerging. So this comes back to the awareness, meaning, and action model. So if I look back at my entire career and all my experiences, I can look back and become aware of certain things that happened almost the exact same way. You know, the way it unfolded, there were so many similarities and so many common threads between them. And if any one of those macro experiences or even the micro experiences are things that I don't want to repeat, I've developed now a better sense of as I go into a new opportunity, let's say it's a new potential client or it's a new potential job opportunity or it's a new brand to build. Well, I, I can look back and say, I'm sensing that there's a similarity here. There's a pattern or a model that's kind of shaping and forming that looks a whole lot like some of those past experiences I've been through. And I can either adjust for it now so it doesn't go down the wrong path, or I just may need to make the decision, this isn't the right thing for me. So I'll give you an example. In high school, I started a web design business. And at that time, it was a fun thing. I'd open up the phone book. This is way back in the mid-90s. I'd start cold calling. I had no fear. Just wanted to get on the phone with people and get into meetings. And I would sell websites. And as I went into college and then started my professional career afterward, about four years in, I started another design agency. And I pretty much at that point still hadn't learned a whole lot about building a sales pipeline, thinking about very specific target audiences, who are the people that I really want to work with and how do I position myself and my business in a way that attracts them. So it was really just go for any and all contracts across any and all projects. It'd be web design, brand design. We did icons and graphic design illustrations. We did technical platforms. We just did it all. And in a sense, 
that was a big mistake looking back on it. But my point is, I worked with so many different types of clients and I went through the good and the bad, you know, the friction and the flow with some clients and others were a lot more friction. And you fast forward, you know, another 10 years or so, and I would start to pick up on some of those signals and patterns. And I would much more quickly be able to identify that this new prospect, their circumstances, and even maybe their approach to work and their personalities are very similar to these past clients I've had. They're not the right fit for me, and I'm not the right fit for them. And I was able to shortcut that cycle much faster and be able to say, this isn't going to be the best fit, but I've got some people in mind you know, I think would be a better fit for you. Whereas in the past, I would just plow through just to get the deal and then you know, go through a whole lot of friction. And I've just come to a point where I'm trying to use all those experiences in my career with past clients, past work and past projects. How do I ensure that I'm working in a way that optimizes for harmony, that all the different pieces fit very nicely together and very well together? And if I'm optimizing for harmony, the people I'm working with are optimizing for harmony. It's a win-win for both sides. So basically, you know, now when I sense the patterns of friction, I can make better decisions either to not engage or introduce to someone who could be a better fit or provide some guidance and still not engage, but still try to make some kind of impact on them to set them off in a good direction. I think the tough part is I didn't have a lot of mentors early on. I didn't really know how to use mentorship in a good way or even ask for mentorship when I was younger in my career. I think in a lot of ways, even if you have mentorship and you have that guidance, there's just an element of you've just got to go through life and you've got to collect those experiences and collect those scratches and those slashes and those wounds and you've got to heal from them and you've got these scratches in your armor, so to speak, or you've got these scars that remind you and you learn from. And hopefully you learn from them in a way where you don't repeat certain mistakes and you can optimize for better situations in the future. And I'll say one last thing that there are a lot of patterns that I've picked up on from early and mid in my career that haven't necessarily led to saying, that's not a good fit for me anymore. I'm not going to engage with that opportunity. Instead, it's actually been, I'm noticing these patterns. I know how to handle this differently now because I've been through a few experiences before. And in those situations, I did handle them differently. And they turned out to be great opportunities and great clients to work with. So not every situation ends up being, uh-oh, you know, this is a red flag. I'm just going to not do this. But instead, oh, I remember this feeling. I remember going through something similar and I know how to handle it better this time. That's cool. And I always believe in seeking out good mentors is a saying I use because I found in my personal life, it's also shaped who I am. And I remember being 19, 20 years old thinking, I know everything. I'm smart. I can figure this out. It's amazing how when you don't have resourcefulness or you don't have any framework, as you put it, or guidance or methodology to navigate new situations, you quickly hit a wall in your competency. It could be money, time, and things are just not clicking. And there's a lot of frustration because there's a disconnect of, I thought the world works this way and now it's Ooh. not. And I find that it could be all sorts of different kinds of stress or uncertainty. And then I ended up taking a totally different path and not really seeing that 
level one, two, three, that's going to get me to where I want to go, which is fundamentally comes down to happiness because I didn't want to go through 40 year career with a career I even didn't even choose that I hated. So I ended up actually dropping out of school pretty early on and fumbling through the decision process. And looking back, I always say that there's something beautiful about making your own choice. Even if people around you are saying it's the wrong choice, it's not conventional, it's not the right way to do things. I find your choice that on the surface level is the wrong choice to a lot of people is only how you build conviction. It's how you build a foundation to go forward and to, I guess, fundamentally just see these patterns. And I never really thought about it in that way, but you put it so eloquently about frameworks and how to think and how to you know make a flywheel out of it, I think is awesome because there's a lot people can learn from that. I think a lot of people say, how do I get rich? How do I become happy? So being able to say, okay, that is what I do. It's almost like a coaching process to go through it. And I think it's super valuable, helpful to a lot of people who could be at any point in their life, really stressed or really just all over the place. And no, it's great. I think there's a lot people can learn from that just to listen, absorb and try. I'll share a story with you real quick about something you said is really important that the decisions we make have to be anchored and rooted in something that's going to affect our lives personally and by extension, anyone who's dependent on us, like my kids, my wife. I'll tell you a story about early in my career. I joined Google just out of university and I was there just a few months before they IPO'd. I stayed for four years. So I left in 2008. And you know, at the time, in a lot of ways, it felt like winning the lottery. I'm young in my career. I'm with brilliant people. We're doing amazing things. Every week, we seem to be announcing another acquisition or another product that we were building internally and launching. And it was just a thrill. And by the world standards, and even more specifically, you know, like my parents and all the hard work that they went through to try to create these opportunities for their kids, this was like a dream. But I'm there four years and things changed very much in terms of the organization. We were somewhere around maybe 1,500 employees. Four years later, we were closer to 5,000. Things were changing at the time. I remember toward the end of my tenure there, Sheryl Sandberg pops over to Facebook to lead Facebook's operations and be their COO. A lot of her executives went with her. A lot of things were changing. The organization was changing. Strategy was changing. The way we were approaching the work, our hiring. For the most part, I was happy. In a lot of ways, people would say, how can you not be happy? You've got basically these Michelin star restaurants on campus to choose from. You've got all the coffee you could drink in the world. You've got ping pong tables and bean bags and you know, all the things that come along with what was hyped about Google and the novel work experience that they were designing and creating there. And of course, you know, being paid pretty well and being around great, phenomenal people to work with. All these things you could say, like, well, how could you not be happy? Well, in a lot of ways, happiness was there, sure. But what I've come to learn now, and I try to emphasize with people, is it's not about optimizing for happiness. Because of course, I was happy eating all this great food, working with great people, getting a good paycheck, and being able to be exposed to so much innovation. But the structure of the organization, my particular set of work, the way the team was evolving, it wasn't a good fit for me anymore. So that's why I emphasize harmony so much that others might look from the outside and say, 
John, how could you not be happy there? Or they'd say to me, how could you not be happy at Google? Look at all the stuff that you have. It's not just about happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Like you said earlier, the ups and downs, there's happiness. And then when that goes away, sometimes you're sad or you're down and happiness will come back again. All those things are fleeting. I'm trying to optimize for joy in my life and trying to optimize for harmony in my life so that the various elements and the variables in my work, in my family, with my friends, with my community, that these pieces are fitting well together. And just really the etymology of harmony, the root meaning is to fit. And I'm just trying to get things to fit well together. So at that time, early in my career, you know, I was hungry for more, ambitious. It wasn't a great fit for me anymore. And others may not understand that, but I had to have that conviction and had to have that courage to say, it's time for me to walk away from this and to move on to something different. And the last part of this I'll share here is you may not always know. I didn't fully know what I was going into next, but I knew I had to make a change. I wished I had built a bridge toward that change first, but I think believing, and this goes back to what we talked about earlier, and this is something I do think has just always been a part of me and part of my approach to life since I was a kid. I very much live my life by this Latin expression, inveniam at facem. I will find a way or I'll make one. So even if I haven't built the bridge yet and I'm stepping into this new world, this new chapter in my life, I'm either going to figure it out, I'll find the way, or I'm going to make it myself. I think there either are already solutions out there or we can make the solutions is essentially how I live my life. So I wanted to share that because you reminded me of that time. And I think it's important for people that you could be unhappy in your current work or your current business. It may not be just about happiness. It may be that there's something that's not quite fitting well. And if you could adjust for that fit, you, know, you could have some pretty big, impactful changes that don't require completely shutting down your business or completely leaving a job or completely leaving a city if it's where you're living. The caveat I'll say, though, is if it's an abusive situation or it's a very dangerous situation, by all means, you know, that's beyond happiness. That's just making sure that you're safe. That's just the way I think about it. And I'm glad you brought that up because it did remind me of that career experience. And it's something I think about a lot and how it influences my decisions now. Yeah. Just being able to look at yourself outside of your situation, I think is really, really helpful. And I'm by no means the expert, but looking back, I love how you touched on not really knowing or understanding, but still recognizing the importance of that little bit of information or feeling. And I'm just going to call it a gut feeling, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But when you know something is off, mm -hmm. you have to listen to that because the thing about what is the essence of who you are and what the right signal is to what direction you should be going in, I think is nonverbal. I think it's not conventional. So you have to throw out all top-down advice, family, friends, authority, teachers, even people around you who are in that position who you think you should be listening to, but it's almost always the wrong advice because they're not in connection to you. They're not plugged in to say, you need something else. And it's a conflict of interest when a school wants to collect as much money as possible and then send you on your way. It's almost a factory. So for you to decide what is right, you listen to that gut feeling and you have to lean into it. And it's a great message about trying to understand that 
at surface level, even if life is good, people would do anything from around the world to work at Google or even just get that opportunity. But I think people do come and go and people grow. And I think Netflix pioneered that whole, we'll train you and then we'll pay you to leave because maybe you're not a good fit. And I love how you frame it as harmony because I think it's not talked about often enough. I know I don't really measure my life in terms of harmony. It's almost a subtle thing I may try and think about, but what a great way to express and think about your life. And I guess my follow-up question is, you made a very nuanced distinction about joy and happiness. So can you define what joy means to you and why is it different from happiness in the first place? Sure. Joy is something that underlies. It's a thread that kind of runs through all the variances in your life, you know, all the ups and all the downs. Joy is something that cuts through all that, is the fruit or the result of things like temperance. Not getting too high, not getting too low. When things are great, when things are kind of down. Joy is the thing that can remain constant. Joy is that inner peace that I find that when I'm feeling that, I'm experiencing that, my life feels different. Happiness, I think, is part of that variance. Happiness is the fleeting feeling. I'll give a very concrete example. It's one of those challenging abstracts, but the way I look at it in real terms, when my first child was born, we had just brought him home from the hospital. And my parents were visiting and holding him and just so delighted to have a grandson. And we were all happy. We're all sitting around the living room happy. Then I get this phone call from my aunt and she rarely calls me on my mobile. So I had that intuition. I think what you were saying earlier, you were touching upon intuition, that feeling you get in a situation. Others can't really know your intuition. They can give you all the advice that they can give you to help inform you. But ultimately, you've got to listen to that intuition within. So it was in this moment when I just had this sense and I had this intuition that she was calling with some bad news. And the first person who came to my mind was my grandmother. And some of my family was living at the time in Venezuela down in South America. And she said, is your mom there? And I told her yes. And she said, well, I need to talk to her. We call our grandmother in Lebanese, Teta. You know, Teta died. And I can feel it right now as I'm telling you the story. My skin started to go numb. You know, my body started to feel noticeably different and immediately felt this sadness. And my mom sensed it too. She's looking at me as I'm on the phone. She's thinking the same thing. Like, why is my sister calling you? Like something must be up. And she just had this sense like, uh oh, you know, maybe it's mom. So she talks to my aunt and explained her time had come. She died of natural causes. But what I'm getting at is we were so happy leading up to that unexpected phone call. And in just that moment, that flip of life right there, we were all sad. But the difference is that we were still all feeling joy. And what I mean is, here we were just living in this beautiful moment where we had the gift of new life right in front of us and making us smile and making us appreciate the splendor of this little baby. And at the same time, we were feeling the sense of joy that she worked so hard in her life and suffered through a lot. And there was a sense of peace knowing that she's moved on. It made me think in that moment, and I'll never forget it, how could we go from being so happy to being so sad, but still there was this inner sense of peace 
and this sense of joy for new life and for someone who had lived an amazing life. That for me has always been the epitome of how I differentiate joy and happiness. That's a very touching and incredible story because it really underlines, I believe, what joy really is. Happiness and like I said, sadness are the experiences we experience in life where joy mm. is more of a settled satisfaction or it's a more of a mental state, a mentality towards life. And I remember after finishing high school into university thinking that I'm going to do well. I always did well in school and I was going to do well after I graduate, get a great job. And for some reason, I always thought that the material gains that I'll be making in life would actually make me happier and more joyous. That obviously wasn't the case. Every time mm. I actually got into a job where I did very well for myself, I was quite stressed, quite upset, depressed for most of the time. It was kind of a cycle with me is then I move on to a job with perhaps lesser responsibilities and maybe even a pay cut. And I would be more in tune with life. I would be more satisfied. I would be more ambitious and optimistic to what's to come. And then I move on to something bigger. And then the same thing happens again. And what I learned from that is that, first of all, in such a materialistic time, people believe that buying things and being surrounded with lots of money and lots of access to anything they want it will bring you joy. That's really not the case because I've been in a more financially stronger position, let's say, than I am now, but I'm significantly happier and joyous at this moment in time. And I'm quite ambitious in myself. John and I, we've known each other for years and we've always had a similar mentality of trying to grow ourselves and improve ourselves, being more successful in life, making a change in societies or even the world. And that hasn't changed. But because of what I have now is I'm able to do that, giving me the time to focus on what really matters and work on projects and try to improve myself. That to me is the sense of complete relief. And it almost is a serene feeling that comes mm. with it. Just like a complete mental controlled state where I'm way less agitated, way less on the edge and just more focused on what really matters. The fact that I'm surrounded with my loved ones. Every time I have a rough moment in life and think that things are tough, I just think, you know, I got a roof over my head. I got my loved ones around me. I'm healthy. That alone, I'm way ahead than the majority of the world population right now. So I cannot complain. And then everything else is just a bonus. I love how you're framing all this and it's inspiring me and motivating me. I'm really curious. I know kind of flipping the table here and asking you all a question, but what you said about that kind of pursuit for that personal improvement and that striving to be better. And you both seem to pursue knowledge and pursue these personal gains and you want to make an impact on others. And you're obviously doing this by sharing these stories and these interviews with folks. Why do you all do it? The reason is it's hard to put my finger on it, but I would say growing up again, I was very, very competitive, which helped me excel in a lot of things. Then when you finish school and you get into real life and you realize it's a lot harder than just studying and having good grades, you see those who actually do well in life, regardless of what they do. You know, they could be role models of some sort, motivational speakers, they could be entrepreneurs, which I look up to a lot, but it's not because of what these entrepreneurs 
create in terms of wealth. It's what they create in terms of what they can do to change the world. I remember I was five or six years old and I was talking to my mom and I said, all I want from this life is for my name to be remembered well after I go. And I think for someone who's five or six to think that it's quite deep because mm -hmm. in simple terms at that age, I would say I want to create some sort of facility where famine is no longer an issue in Africa mm -hmm. and maybe have clean water accessible to everyone forever, things like that. So obviously I haven't pursued any of these things, but what I'm saying is the thought of trying to do something to actually improve someone else's life is still there. And I would say my parents personally, they've worked very hard to raise three kids, but they were never entrepreneurial in their sense. They worked hard. They came from very simple families and upbringings, and they've really achieved a lot in their lives to give us the lives that we have. So I think that gave me the opportunity to improve myself. And once I got into the workforce, I felt more just day to day. And I thought that's not satisfactory. That's not mm -hmm. satisfying for me. I spend way too much time just working and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But for me, I thought, I want to do something and I want to change something. And I believe that having access to today's technologies where everyone can listen to this and have people like you, I'll be honest, I've been enjoying every single second of you on the show, sharing your experiences and your knowledge and how you can really change your perspective in life. These episodes can really mean something. And if anything, John and I talk about this regularly, you know, on our personal phone calls is we learn so much from people like you and our other guests that come on the show because everyone experiences something differently. Everyone is a snowflake in a sense. You know, there's no two snowflakes that are exactly the same. And, and I think that's just invaluable. And for me, that's the reason we're doing this. If anything, it'll push me personally. You know, my friend, I think we have so many similarities in terms of background and, and upbringing. And I think what you're describing resonates with me so much. And I think what you're really talking about here is leaving a legacy, which I know sometimes that can sound very cliche and a lot of people say it. It doesn't minimize its truth. I think in a sense, we all deeply want to leave a legacy. I don't need to be famous. I don't need lots of toys. But what I do aspire to, like you're saying, is to make some kind of lasting, sustainable, positive impact on someone and hopefully broader society. So I think what y'all are doing is meaningful and you're experiencing that through all these conversations and sharing all this. And like you said, you never know who listens to an episode and take something away that could be an inflection point in their life, an inflection point in their career. I'm trying to recall something I tweeted a while back essentially saying, no one else is going to give you the permission to make this podcast. No one else is going to give you the permission. And John, like you were saying earlier, people can give you advice. Like, well, you should do a podcast. You should not do a podcast. Oh, why don't you focus on work? Why are you messing around with this podcast? Whatever it is people might say that's positive or negative. But ultimately, you have to give yourself the permission to create your art and to make that impact that you want to make in the world, to solve that unmet need or to fill that gap that you see in the world that maybe a hundred other people have a hundred other ideas for how to do it, but so do you. And yours just might be the one that resonates with people or yours resonates with people in a certain way and others will create their solutions. But I don't know, you guys tell me, maybe you heard from plenty of people, oh, another podcast, there are so many out there. 
but you're creating something that's unique and that's meaningful to you all. And from what I saw, you've got some amazing guests on here and I'm just honored to be a part of the community. Yeah. One of my awakening moments, I would call it, was right around late high school, I took a philosophy course and I remember just totally being in love with the whole idea of thinking and turning everything upside down on its head. And I had just the absolute best teacher. He always wore a robe like a priest and he was a religious guy, which I not necessarily am myself, but there was just an appreciation for ideas and for thinking and for kind of designing a way to go about life and to question. And that became quickly a pivot for my university days and then my dropping out and just being able to say, I am who I am. I can think, I can be conscious. And, you know, just kind of reflecting on your question, there's nothing better in this world to be able to be doing something or in the moment and to be able to say, this is me. So whatever you want to ascribe to that, you want to call it joy, you want to call it harmony, which are fantastic words that I'm going to have to try and think about and appreciate. But being able to just have this moment in time and say, this is me, we're having this conversation. No one can take that. And number two, people call it in the zone or like my genuine thought right now is being able to have this moment and then an asteroid comes and blows up the whole world. I could say, this is me. And I could say, I am where I want to be. I am appreciating life and just having a great moment in time. No one knows, like we're all here for a hundred years. We were born into this world and we go, how do you decide who you are? And to me, this is it. So in this moment in time, in my set of experiences, my set of desires, wants, needs, how I want to grow, what making the world better looks like, this is it. And this is how it manifested. And it's an expression. It's a conversation. It's a unique connection to you and to Cal and to the world listening. I think the world needs more of that. It needs more understanding that you are who you are. What does that look like in terms of exploring who you are and being able to form a baseline? Because the one thing we're not taught is to be ourselves. We're always taught a certain way. And one of the biggest realizations I had trying to understand, well, how do people grow if they don't listen to what they're told? Hitting all the check boxes, you either develop a framework that you're not the best or you understand that you are, you can be, and it's not good enough. And that's exactly what happened to me. It's not about the best test score. It doesn't mean you're going to be a happy or successful or fulfilled person. So what I realized was that there's more than one right way to do things. And it's not about getting the right answer. Life is not about the right answer. So this is essentially how I think about life, which is what can I explore? You know, one of my big mantras is be curious about the world. So what can you lean into? What can you think about? And there's no better way to do that than to do the show. The amount of people and connections we can just talk to yourself, for example. My mind is absolutely blown right now just in appreciation and admiration for what you're saying and I become like a sponge just soaking everything in. And these kind of moments don't happen every day. The fact that we can do them is the important thing. And, you know, for someone who will say, back to your question, another podcast, my favorite answer to anyone who wants to detract from what you want to do in life, no matter how big, small, 
provided it's not, you know, I'm going to go hurt other people, right? There is a line there, but my answer is always, why not? Why not? Because you never know what moment will transpire, where you're going to learn and grow. People think they only grow till 15, 20, 25. If you want to be in love with life, you're always going to learn and grow. You're going to have these moments of, wow, of appreciation. And if you want to call it joy, that's this moment right now. I'm absolutely loving it. So why not? And that's what it comes down to. This is who I am. Why not be me? And the tagline I kind of came up with was better your future, better yourself, which is capturing those two things. And just by the conversation, if one person gets a value add to their life, no matter how small, that's a success. I'm happy for that. And I'm always appreciative that people spend an hour of their time. Why would we deserve someone's time? Why would anyone pause and say, I want to talk to you guys. So we're always thankful and appreciative of that. But number two, that's how these conversations grow. And I'm just always super inspired and impressed by what happens. And it is motivating. It is for us. We've talked about it before. This is the lifeline that helps me personally grow and keep myself on track and reminder that there are people doing amazing things. Life is not just your day job. It's not just the things you think about, reacting to the phone calls, the emails, the people who decide what you're worth. Because if you have a job, you are renting your time. Your value to the world is not being represented because it's on rent. But if you're going to grow, if you're going to start a project or do something that's uniquely you, I think the upside's unlimited. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about fulfillment. I'm talking about mm -hmm. looking in the proverbial mirror and saying, this is who I am because no one knows what tomorrow brings. But if you can say, I am proud, I am at peace, I am on track, that I think is a very rare thing. And it is elusive. This moment in time is that. But is it around forever? No. The situations you're in, like you said, you get into a stressful situation out of your control, which is why I think your framework analogies and methodologies are so amazing because I'm going to learn from that. I think everyone can. Just about bringing into consciousness and saying, that's a useful way to step aside from this situation and look at it. And, you know, there is a way to navigate life. Yeah, I am so inspired by what you guys are doing and the underlying purpose for why you're pursuing it. And just want you to know that I've just experienced an hour of joy with you guys. And like I said, that's what I'm trying to optimize for in my life. So I'm very grateful. There's one more thing I want to share and it relates to what you just explained. We can look at our lives right now, especially as we're in this so-called creator economy. And we can look at these three different eras. We had our industrial era. Everything was repetitive, assembly line style, so to speak. And we went through, and we're still going through this information era where we're collecting and aggregating and processing all this data, all this information. You can see how we're heading into automation and AI, robotics. We're on the cusp right now, and it's happening. And things like the Great Resignation are signs of what's to come. I believe we're in this imagination era right now, and it's going to last for a very long time, in that your response to people, oh, another podcast? Your response, well, why not, is putting the burden of proof on them. Why not create something? 
Cal and I imagined this. Why not breathe life into it and put it out there in the world? And all these episodes that you're recording with people are going to last. Like This is the legacy you guys are building. In this way, shape, and form, this is a legacy you all are leaving behind. I admire it, and it inspires me, and I appreciate it, and I just hope that you all keep pursuing it. That Whatever you keep imagining, we have all the tools and the technology and the access to make them happen right now, unless you've got to invent something totally new. But for the most part, pretty much whatever we can imagine right now, we can put into effect. So I am really grateful for the invitation to be on, and I've enjoyed every minute and appreciate all your questions and i hope that we can keep chatting absolutely Charbel, it's been amazing what a wonderful session of enlightenment as i'll call it because it's just in these moments you know i think people find themselves when they like to say i know or i'm on track and you almost become closed-minded like you have an answer for everything and if you expect what's to come you don't leave yourself open to the wonder of what's possible. And I think this moment was just an absolute hour of wonder and awe. So thank you so, so much for that. And I'll leave it off with another mantra or saying I have, which is, if you think you have all the answers, you stop asking questions. So here's to asking questions and getting it out there. And without knowing where it's going to take us, it's fantastic. So thank you for your time. It's been awesome. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Charbel. I just want to add also, you're always welcome on the show because moments like these, I feel that an hour isn't enough. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we got to stay in touch and anything you want to plug in, maybe your Twitter handle on how people can reach you. Sure. Thank you. I'm on Twitter at Charbel J. Simon and the same for Instagram and other handles, but really I'm most active on Twitter. I uh, love for you to follow and I uh, hope to follow back and learn from you as well. And Right now, you know, I'm focused on just sharing insights from my career and, and my past experiences and what I'm working and creating and imagining right now and just hope to make an impact like the way you guys are making an impact. Absolutely. You've certainly made an impact today. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Talk to you soon. Yeah, let's definitely stay in touch. Bye-bye. So with that said, let's wrap up today's episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Thanks, everyone.